Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Darko Audio Podcast. You are joining me today. I'm in Lisbon, Portugal, on a month's worth of remote working. But Michael Lavonia, who joins me from New Jersey, probably just calls it a holiday. <laughs> joining from a rainy, gray New Jersey. Right. It's been beautiful here. It's been like 20 degrees Celsius. That's probably over 70 mm. in, in old numbers in old-fashioned american numbers <laughs> right but it's apart from today the weather has been beautiful um if you can hear a bit of reverb on my voice that's the room in which i'm sat i'm in an airbnb the lounge is obviously not a treated acoustic space and yeah I'm, i don't have a fancy microphone with me so i'm just using the microphone on my macbook pro by the way i'm using a dongle dac and some iems to monitor the whole thing yeah how are you michael i am good overall mm -hmm. uh keeping busy right right as, as is usual uh, but i'm a, i'm actually more interested in hearing about uh, portugal <laughs> than... well it's yeah i mean it's okay the one thing mm. the one thing about lisbon especially is that it's for me and i say for me i have to qualify this for me, it's very noisy because mm. I guess one thing I love about Germany, and I've possibly said this before, is generally people are fairly quiet. <laughs> but as soon as you get into the Mediterranean, people get louder. Now, it's a cultural <laughs> thing, so I can't complain about it. This is not me complaining. I'm merely observing. Maybe mm. Portuguese come to Berlin and go, God, everyone's so boring and dull here, which is mm. probably a, a legit call. But I live in a fairly quiet area of Berlin, and right now I'm, the Airbnb that we're staying in is right behind the castle. Well, I say, like, when I say right behind, I mean like a few hundred meters. But a few hundred meters in Lisbon money is actually maybe you know 50 meters up a really steep incline, then 50 meters down a sharp incline, then 50 meters up again, and then 50 meters down again, then round a bend. It is... This city, to say the city is hilly is an understatement. Mm. It really is intense. I so, love a hilly city, personally. Really? I, I, I can't stand it because I look at it and go, I can never live here because I couldn't cycle here unless yeah. I get, you know, an e-bike. But Well, see, I don't cycle, so. Right, but even walking. I mean, I can think of a few people we know that would really struggle in this city just getting out and about, just on yeah. foot. It is... It's intense. And there's actually down in the square below, there is a, an enormously long escalator to bring you up to another level, um, mm. closer to the castle, but it's still, it's still a sort of a puff and a wheeze <laughs> to, get, <laughs> to get the rest of the way. If you're a smoker, forget it. <laughs> like, this I is puff not and wheeze when I put my shoes on these days. So. <laughs> but this is not, it's just not a city for smokers. Well, it is, but. But it's just, yeah, it's interesting to sit, to kind of hear, hear how you know different places are because yeah, it's not just traffic noise. I mean, there's lots of trams here, lots of also streetcars that kind of clatter and ring their bell and are full of people, and understandably because of the best way of going up those awful hills. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and we've got a construction site next to our Airbnb, which yeah. the guy who hosted us didn't put in his Airbnb listing. Bit sneaky when we turned up. I saw it. He's like, "Oh, don't worry about it. I barely notice it." And two days in, my girlfriend and I just like face palming, just going, "Oh my god, what have we done?" 
So last night, after a day of them pouring concrete, mm. we emailed the dude and said, look, we've got to leave this place. You have to give us our money back for the remaining days. We're going to go somewhere else, which is what we're doing. Mm. But I, I did try and shoot a video this morning on the balcony, and I had to shoot it in short bursts, like short phrases, because as, as soon as I get to the end of a phrase, the hammering would start again or the drilling would start again. Because, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm here to work. I have to be able to make video. And, uh, yeah, noisy as all hell. So, um, but, you know, again, I'm not complaining generally about, you know, how I guess I'm very grateful to have this job. Can call it a job. It is my full-time gig, as it is yeah. with you. It is. So, yeah, you know, like it's just it's just observing what it is around me. But, um, yeah, it's different in the med, just a different vibe. Mm. But, of course, people come here, as, as we did, for the weather and to escape COVID. So we've been eating out outside all week, all last week. So, yeah, it's been pretty good. <clears throat> anyway. I guess that's enough rambling from me about where I am and, you know, my privilege. Um, we, should get, we should get into some news items uh, of, yeah, I guess, new products that have been announced in, in the last few weeks since we did the last podcast. Sure. Do you want to kick us off, Michael, with yours, your first one? Uh, absolutely. So one of the more interesting items uh, to come across my desk is the new project Automat A1 turntable. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting about it, number one, is it's 500 bucks. Mm -hmm. Or actually, list this for a dollar shy of $500. Uh, fully automatic, so you don't have to lift or lower the arm. I mean, you know, it, that's I an underrated quality, isn't it? I mean, I know all really, your thoughts. It, it, it is. is. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, ha I, do, I admit to having a certain fascination with with especially a um, kind of bumpy and clunky auto automated devices. Mm. And there's a video, a uh, project included a video with the release, and they show, you know, the arm lifting, and it is a little jerky looking, which mm. I, I think is kind of perfect. It's, it's, uh, it's clearly a machine. So uh, hand in hand with the convenience of auto start stop, uh, it comes with an Ortofon OM10 cartridge, uh, which is $62 roughly if you mm -hmm. buy it on its own. But it's installed, so you don't have to deal with tracking force or anti-skating mm. settings. So it's really uh, very close to plug-and-play. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a belt drive. It does 3345. Um, it does also have a built-in phono preamp. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for 500 bucks, you could basically plug-and-play um, but that internal phone pre, you can defeat it with a switch and I think. Right, so that. you you can upgrade to a different phono stage later. Yeah, on. you could go to yeah. an outboard. Yes, you can. Right. Okay. I mean, I think for me, one of the interesting things about that project turntable is it it's made in Germany. Yeah, it is. It's handmade in Germany. Yeah. Yeah. They even said I think it was eighty percent of the materials used are also from Germany. Right. Okay. I think I that get... was the number. Okay, I didn't get that far with the uh, the news release, or I didn't I didn't pick up on that part of it. But yeah, it's the, I think it's the old Dual factory. In, ah, okay, yeah. Is it in the Black Forest? I'm guessing now, but it's it's it, yeah, it's definitely in Germany because a lot of mm -hmm. project turntables are made in a factory in the Czech Republic, if I'm not mistaken. Hmm. 
But um, I think Heinz Lichtenegger, who owns Project, has made a deal with um, a chap whose name I can't remember, who now owns the old dual factory, and now they're making turntables for him. Uh, yeah, in Germany, which is amazing, really, because I think, yeah, I think it's it's not important that things are made, you know, not in in Asia. It's not important mm. at all. But I think for some people there is an appeal to that. For some people, there's a romantic association with things being made in America or made in the UK or made in Germany, right? Uh, maybe sure. It's, maybe it's jingoism. I don't know. I don't know. But uh, well. <laughs> Um, when you said um, you thought the factory was in the Black Forest, I immediately went, oh, <laughs> oh, oh, how cool. <laughs> right. I mean, it yeah. does enhance the story, doesn't it? it? Well, it does for me, yeah. I mean, right. I have associations with Germany and the Black Forest because there were a bunch of writers years ago that I really liked who were German writers and wrote about these things. Oh, uh, so, okay. Yeah, I have a romantic connection. But, you know, I think – People who think made in China or made in Taiwan, especially Taiwan, that was the thing in the 80s when I was growing up in the UK, is that made in Taiwan was associated with just shitty quality because a uh -huh. lot of things were. And I think if you're a gentleman of a certain age, as like me, you probably carried that with you. So you probably just think that everything in Asia is just <laughs> shit, right? Or, and you go mm. online and you tell everybody about how there's no way you're going to buy it because it's made in China, yes. which... Don't know, like the racist undertones and those kind of comments, they just make me wince. Even if they're not intended, that's the way they come across because there's no tone of voice on the internet, believe it or not. And there is no <laughs> irony font or sarcasm font or anything like that. But some people comment and you know seem to be unaware of this thing. And yeah, comment about how it's your mood in China and not buying that crap, you know. And I just think that it's offensive. Hmm. But you could say, oh, made in Germany. I'm not buying that crap. My granddad would never have bought something made from Germany because he fought in World War II. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's just prejudices that we carry with us throughout our lives. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, this is a very interesting point, and I agree. When I read these kinds of comments, especially in, in the majority of the ones I see mm -hmm. are China, I, right. uh, my ears light up a bit red. You know, it angers me to some extent, that kind of uh, attitude. Mm. But I I will say uh, that recently I went, I went to visit uh, a, a distributor and dealer in lower Manhattan mm -hmm. and uh, Highwater Sound. And one of mm -hmm. the lines that uh, Highwater Sound brings in is called SA Laboratories. And the gentleman who makes its a tube amplification mm -hmm. amps preamps integrators he's from moscow and that's where these are made okay. in moscow and i just so happened to be there well it was planned it just, just so happened with alex halberstadt who writes mm -hmm. for a stereophile but he's a, a real writer quote unquote anyway mm -hmm. he was born in moscow and he has family still living in moscow mm -hmm. so <clears throat> especially well i don't want to get into it but with current world events Mm. You know, you could certainly see, and I've I've encountered this. Oh, Russian! I'm not buying anything from Russia, and it, right. and what was said in this context with someone who's uh, who is born in Russia and has family there, and with someone who deals with and knows uh, more than one company actually in Russia, it's like it's like yeah, no, it's not the country; it's the people. You know, and, and you know, it's the people, and this person that i deal with for these he's like the greatest guy 
blah, 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 blah. Alex is from Russia. And, you know, I mean, it's very easy. I mean, I encountered this uh, anti-American thing. I've certainly encountered that when I've traveled. Oh, America, Mm. blah, blah, blah. But yeah, and I could see to a certain extent, but I mean, let's focus on the people. And, you know, as opposed to the, some generalized view of a, of a country, you know, and clearly China has its issues with human rights abuse. Mm -hmm. Yes, it does. Yes. Forced labor. However, that doesn't make everything from China awful and every person from China awful. It's like, it's ridiculous. So, yeah, I mean, I thought as it was such a refreshing thing to hear people talk about this kind of thing uh, being about Russia, but from an insider perspective and from a human perspective, I would say, mm-hmm. yeah, like just dismissing countries outright, I, I'm not sure I understand it. But Well, I think it's one thing that the internet specializes in, isn't it? It's blanket statements, <laughs> yes. right? So it's sure like, enough. I'm never going to buy a Delta Sigma DAC because they're all yeah. crap, or yes. I'm never going to use a... Uh, switch mode power supply because linear is always better yeah oh i guess if you like distortion you like tubes Uh, (laughs) yeah right that kind of that kind of blanket statement that just people use just to just dismiss things out of hand when as we know in every single case it's it's case dependent right it depends upon the people that are making it or the company that makes it or what their skill set is or even what their factory is like or their yeah i know that they're quality control is like it's just uh it de- yeah it depends yeah. on the specifics of the reality yes exactly that you put it better than i did yeah yeah <laughs> all right i'm leaving yeah. see ya <laughs> <laughs> all right well look i'll move on then because you know we've we talked about a project turntable mm. uh this next um product was actually announced yesterday and it kind of dovetails nicely into the project turntable this is a new phono stage well rather mm. an updated phono stage from shit audio Um, I'm going to say right from the the get-go, it is made in America. And I know this because Jana's just shot a video at shit in California, and I know that she went to their board factory, which is just down the road, and then in the other direction, just down the road, is their chassis and casework factory. So all of those things come together as a little triangle that essentially puts together shit products. So most of the assembly is done in shit's California factory, but they've also got a factory in Texas now, which is where... This new phono preamplifier is made. It's called the Manny 2. Obviously, it's an update to the original Manny. Now, I've had a Manny since 2014, I think since it was first released. Anyway, shit, I've updated it to the Manny 2. And what they've done is they've, yeah, they've pretty much overhauled it. So they've got rid of all coupling capacitors. So it's all DC servo connected, which basically means a more transparent sound in theory anyway, but more than that, they've increased the flexibility. So you can now load your moving cartridge phono stage with four different gain settings or four different resistive loading settings or four different capacitive loading settings. And of course it does MM, it even does moving iron. And I always forget about moving iron because there aren't many cartridges that are moving iron and I have zero experience with moving iron. So, but basically... The shit Manny 2 covers every single possibility for, I think it's $149. Yeah. Um, and it also has um, uh, a rumble filter, which yeah. you can switch in and out. And it's also customizable to 60 dB per octave and 12 dB per octave. Uh, it's got a linear power supply. And I think I'm looping back to where I started with this. I think shit reduced the number 
of gain stages, or they did something to simplify the yeah. circuit. I, yes, I remember reading that, yeah. Right, I'm paraphrasing a little bit because I'm trying to go quickly here. But I just think for 150 bucks, this is a phono preamplifier is just a very, very strong contender for a whole, whole bunch of people who have got a plug-and-play turntable like that Automat A1 from Project mm-hmm. and maybe want to upgrade it, but they don't want to get rid of the turntable. And maybe they're thinking about doing the cartridge first, and maybe they should. But once they've done that, they might look to a new phono pre and you know the money too is waiting for them when they're ready for that. So I think it's yeah, it's a good product. So I'm excited by this because it's a super affordable, 149. Yeah, bucks. I know it's that is, it's it's almost a head scratcher of a price, all things considered. Well, I oh, think shit. It, mm, mm. So I was going to say that I think shit have a reputation for this, don't they? Uh, absolutely. The, you know, yeah. Just sort of price busting high end audio products. I mean, obviously they're gonna they have to make it to a price, and they're going to have to do it somehow. But maybe they have just really, I don't know, really good pricing on their boards and their chassis because they sell so many. Yeah, Maybe their I per unit that, cost is low. I, I'm guessing I've got no idea. Yeah, I would, I would assume that to be the case, yeah. Right. In part, yeah, to explain the yeah. But the I guess it that. speaks to the success of that company even in the last two years because they were already growing like a rocket and now they've opened that new factory in Texas. Mm. But yeah, I mean, I just think this is an exciting product. I'm not going to waffle on too much. I'll hand it back to you, Michael, for your next news item for the last few weeks. Sure. So uh, Marantz rolled out a new integrated amp called the Model 40N, as in network. And it's very easy to think of it as really as a network version of the Model 30, which I reviewed for you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was a Class D 100 watts a channel. Hundred watts a channel yeah, for right. uh, three thousand dollars round right. numbers. So that's, that's so, a high end Marantz piece, right? It is. It is. Yeah. Mm. Um, the styling, uh, you know, they've paid attention and spent some money on on the look, mm-hmm. certainly from the front view, uh, which right. I think is it's nice looking. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yes, the forty N looks very much like the Model Thirty, mm-hmm. uh, and it adds. The Heos by Denon, it, it gets its network functionality from Heos by Denon, owned by the mm-hmm. same company, Marantz and Denon, yeah. these days. So you have get Wi-Fi, Ethernet um, connectivity. It also adds coax and toss link. Inputs in an HDMI arc, mm-hmm. which I think will become more relevant in a few minutes. Yes, yes, it will. Um, there's USB for store. You can connect storage to it. It supports Spotify, Tidal, you know, a bunch of other services. It doesn't do Cobas, as far as I'm aware. It does not do Cobas. There's no Rune. <laughs> yeah, no Rune. But you can you can use AirPlay for the Rune though. Yes, um, I, I wanted to mention it does also have a moving magnet phono input. Okay. Yeah. So uh, and uh, it's twenty four ninety nine. So it's less than the Model 30, Uh you know, but you get additional functionality and a little less power. So I think, see, when I saw that, I thought this is right up against something like the name Unity Atom. Oh, sure. Because the name Unity Atom is Class AB, and this new Marantz is Class AB. Now, I don't want to get classist about amplifiers, but people tend to do that. They tend to shop that way. It's like, I don't want to have Class D, or Class D sounds like blah, blah, blah. (laughs) 
you know, the kind of, again, generalized statements on the internet. Mm-hmm. But people are very much interested in, I think, you know, diff- alternatives to the name. I won't put the NAD M10V2 in that bracket because that's also class D. I guess, yeah, I got to be careful here separating these things on class, but because mm. they all essentially are what I call super integrated. But the NAD doesn't have a phono stage, neither does the name. The mm. Cambridge Evo 150 does have a phono stage. That's also a class D streaming amplifier. So there's a, a lot of these sort of class D streaming amplifiers or class AB streaming amplifiers knocking about. And I think Marats, 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 I can't even talk right now, Marats are throwing their hat in the ring with the Model 40N to be considered amongst those, I think. Yeah, I think the, um, how, can I, how can I put this? Uh, it seems to me the name is a, uh, just strikes me as a more fluid product, meaning the integration seems very intentional and from the outset, whereas the Model 30 it's basically a borrowed technology plugged in. Not to, you, know, which you mean the level forty n, forty n? Yes, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it may work out very well. Yeah, I think Morant's customers are very loyal, and the oh, yeah the mm. yeah the brand awareness for Morant's is probably can't think of an electronics company maybe with a higher maybe Sony. I don't know, but they don't really make high end amplifiers anymore, as far as I can tell. Macintosh, yeah. But I also know this because whenever I run a Morant story, and you probably see this as well, mm. it does very well in terms of traffic. A lot of people mm. click on that link because they yeah. want to know what Morants are up to. So I guess you know that, that speaks volumes in and of itself. Yeah, And I can't say that about name or Cambridge so much. Not as much. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. Yeah. Right. But that doesn't necessarily mean that Morants are making the better product because, as you say, they're just bolting in a – then on Heos streamer and mm. putting it into a, an amplifier. Now, I'm not saying that Cambridge didn't do that, but they have their own streaming platform as do name. So, yeah. and you're right about the Unity Atom being more fluid because that volume wheel or the whole, the whole aesthetic and the, mm. the fin sides, I mean, it's just a work of art as well as a streaming amp. Like it's just, I, I can't think of anything that I talk about more often these days than that thing. Yeah. Um, while we're talking legend brands, I'm going to bring up something new from Sony. Now, Sony this month introduced two new tongue twisters. Are you ready for this? I'm going to read them out. I'm going to go slowly because it's difficult. Right, we've got the NWWM1ZM2, and we've got the NW1M. Sorry, yeah, sorry. Let me do that again. We've got the NW. Uh, w, I can't even do it. What the, what's wrong with me? We've got the NW. WM1ZM2 and the NWWM1AM2. My goodness, that's what a mouthful <laughs> that is. So these are two new portable players. They're actually second generation portable players. I'm going to call them the 1Z and the 1A, right? Because NW is new Walkman. So they're portable players. You know, you put an SD card in with music on and you walk around and plug headphones in and all that kind of nonsense. Well, it's not nonsense really, is it? Because it's something I do all the time. But <laughs> So the, the 1Z is the fancy expensive one. So it's the one that looks like it's made of gold. It's not gold. It's actually copper, which is gold-plated. And, and the 1A is made from aluminum alloy, which you would call aluminum. I would. So, right. And the thing is, that, and I spoke to the engineers who made and designed this product 
the original six years ago when it was launched in Tokyo. And they do claim that the copper chassis makes a, a difference to sound quality over and above the aluminium version. So these are two new Walkman, and they, are, they do feature, and I'm not going to detail them, minor upgrades to components used. I think, for example, the 1Z gets a, a Kimber cable that runs from the analog board to the headphone socket. They both do balanced and single-ended outputs. But for me, the biggest, the biggest story here, this is why I'm mentioning these, actually, is nothing really to do with the fact that they're Mark II versions or the nature of those Mark II versions. It's that, well, there's two things. The first thing is, is most portable players, you tend only to get maybe 10 hours roughly of battery life from a single charge. But mm -hmm. with Sony's players not using off-the-shelf DAC chips and actually using this digital amp circuitry that I think they call S-Master, they get more battery life out of their players. And I think it's mm. 30 or 40 hours, which is astonishing. Oh, wow. And yeah. really is what you think it should be because your phone lasts almost that long, right? So why would a portable player be any different? So that's the first difference, I think, and definitely a, a very sharp edge that Sony have over the competition. The second one, and this was one of the reasons I've, I haven't bought one of these because I did look at them and thinking, maybe I should get one of these, but the originals, the version ones, you can only play music from a micro SD card or if you're tethered, I think, to a Wi-Fi network at home. So maybe the app. In, does it do this? I'd actually, I, do you know what? I don't even know whether they do that even. But it doesn't really matter because the, the Mark IIs run native Android or as close to native Android as you can get. So they have Google Play Store, which mm. means you can then install any streaming app of your choice. So you can put on Tidal, Cobas, Deezer, Amazon Music. Mm. Um, what else have I missed? Spotify, Apple Music. You can run all of these apps natively and get the benefits of the Sony sound applied to those streaming apps, right? I mean, one that I'm always using these days is Plex, which mm. I keep banging on about because it allows me to stream content from a server that I've got still running in my kitchen in Berlin. I can stream and download whatever bit rate I want. I can do FLAC, I can do 320. Mm. I use Plex an awful lot. Sorry, Plex AMP. Plex AMP is the, the phone app, and then Plex is the actual server software. So I would use that on one of these new Sony players. But if I wanted to do, the, to do that, I would have to have pretty deep pockets because the, the 1A, so the aluminum alloy version, sells for 1400 bucks, which is kind of like standard for these kind of things. But mm. the 1Z, 3,700 euros. Wow. Like it mega, well, actually, that's, not, that's roughly the same as the Astell & Kern SP2000 that I have. And one of my biggest gripes with that Aston and Kern, even though it sounds amazing, it doesn't run proper Android, but you can run native apps for Tidal, Spotify, Cobuzz, and a few others, but they have to be sort of approved and sort of signed off by Aston and Kern before you can install them using their weird Android app installer system. Oh, and I say I it's weird because it is a bit clunky. You mm. can, they are Android apps, but until... Aston and Kern do some modifications so that that app can be installed. You can't run it. And right now you can't run Plex on an Aston and Kern player, which for me is a bit of a bummer. So I'm always on the lookout for portable players that have normal Android with the Google Play mm. Store. And that is the way that they all have to go in my book if they're going to survive competing with phones 
you know, talking to Dongle Dax or the Cord Mojo 2, mm-hmm. because there's some fairly stiff competition with those things, right? So, yeah. See, this is a bit out of my league because I never leave the barn. So, right. <laughs> you know, why would you? <laughs> I, don't need a, I don't need a portable player. But I will add a, a quick footnote because um, mm-hmm. it's worth it is worth saying, and this comes from. Um, a company that sells shielding products. So it's not a company that sells uh, nothing to do with hi-fi. Mm-hmm. And the quote is, copper is arguably the most reliable metal to choose from for EMI and RFI shielding. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Interesting. Yeah. So compared to other metals, copper stands out as an effective material for attenuating electrical and magnetic waves. Copper is often found in medical equipment like MRI devices. So, ah. you know, yeah, because when you when you mentioned that copper, I know that Total Dac, for example, mm-hmm. um, has sheets of copper inside the chassis for shielding, mm-hmm. and many companies use copper, and it's not inexpensive, you know, compared right. to cheaper stuff. But there's, you know, there it has real physical properties that make real differences. So anyway, that's that. Yeah, just no, I know. I mentioned it because I did remember seeing, you know, quite a few comments when these original two portable players came out from Sony and a lot of internet poo-pooing of the gold one, you know, and people suggesting it was just bling-bling to justify a whopping great markup. Mm. But I know from having spoken to the engineers, I've I got to say, I mean, they're lovely people. And there's always that cynical attitude of, well, of course they would say that because they're selling portable players, right? It's in their interest to talk them up. Yes, that's true, but I think there is a culture in Japan that is possibly unique to Japan where pride in, I guess, I don't want to say being a good person, but just being true to oneself, is it's really strong there still, you know, and just, mm. just being, uh, is the word righteous, a righteous person? Mm. An honorable person, yeah. Right, that's the word I'm looking for, honorable. You would bring shame upon mm. yourself if you lied about you know, the, the audible benefits of copper being the chassis for a Sony's debt, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't be more inclined to believe this dude than somebody who just has no experience with this and just wants to, you know, walk out onto Reddit or a forum to kind of go, I think this is garbage. No, just because, <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right, but that is so, yeah. it's just so common. Um, it's almost... Yeah you could almost overlook it, you know, and, and not recognize how patently absurd it is to think that a person who has never designed and built anything is more of an expert on that thing than the people who design and build them. And, And that expert, the only claim to real expertise is, is ridiculous levels of cynicism. And that's it. It's right. like, well, I don't know what I'm talking about, but I'm really cynical. So clearly these <laughs> experts don't know what the hell they're doing, and you should listen to me. It's like, oh, excellent. <laughs> Cynicism <laughs> as a design, you know. Uh, anyway, sorry. Yeah, no, we should move on because yeah. we could talk about this all day. Um, I do want to give one little mention to DCS for two reasons. They are about to launch a new ring deck that will go in all of their – all of their DAC products, basically. What's strange about it, and what I, I, I'm starting to see this a little bit more, and I'm not sure I like it, is mm. having this split news release. 
So they uh, sent out a press release yesterday saying this is coming. It's going into this product, this product, and this product. We'll have more information for you in two weeks. My question is, and genuine question, why? Why does it have to be two separate news releases? Why can't it be one news release? Now, maybe, I, maybe it's to manage demand for upgrades. Maybe it's that. I don't know. But again, you could still stagger it from one news release. Yeah, I believe but, I read there's going to be three in total releases, right. news releases. But oh, anyway. goodness. So hmm. here's me being cynical, right? This is me being cynical, not knowing what's <laughs> going on in their PR department. Is If you want to get more mileage out of a story, just trickle it out in, in, in three different hmm. sections or two sections. Astle and Kern did it last year. There was somebody else who tried to do it as well this year. I can't remember who it was. But I, hmm. yeah, I did call it out. I don't like it. Like just... Because it, it just feels it feels manipulative. It feels like, well, if we you know we stage it, we're going to get a, a steady stream of coverage from the press. When other you know, in, in, otherwise we just get like one hit and then it's over. Right. Do you know over, what I mean? Right. Yeah. You get it. You get a um, a hit a week or however you right. know they decide to space them out. Yeah. I'm not saying that's how it is. I'm saying that's how it looks. Mm -hmm. That's how it appears to people like me who and you who have to process these press releases and read them. So one of the reasons I didn't run that DCS story on my website was because, well, they've got more information coming on March the 2nd. So I thought, okay, well, I'll wait till then. Mm -hmm. But if there's still more to come after that, I'm going to wait till then. Well, you know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, because, well, as it stands, as far as I've read um, from that first release and 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 the associated information there's a little video you can watch mm -hmm. there I, i'm left with a lot of questions like how much is this going to cost how does it actually right. work these are drop-in board upgrades i assume yeah um, i guess so i could but i guess your box has to go back to cambridge yeah. to, or your local distributor to get done i would think yeah but all you know but those practical questions when how much mm. are, remain to be answered so all i would be doing if i were to to web um a news item would just say here's what dcs says about what they've done mm. and uh stay tuned for <laughs> the information you're really looking for like right. how is this going to work when's it going to happen how much is it going to cost or it, so when is when you buy a new dcs uh rossini is it going to when is it going to be have this new apex ring deck Mm -hmm. Like if I buy one next week, will I have to get it upgraded or is next, you know, so when, when is this actually going to roll out? This remains to be, uh, that's a question that remains to be answered. All right, let's move on. Um, today, Michael, we're going to be talking about entry-level streaming devices. And when I mean entry-level, I mean below 500 bucks, but most of this stuff is going to be way below 500 bucks. But before I get to sort of the nitty gritty of some of the streaming hardware that you can use to stream audio and connect to a DAC, I guess the, the baseline for this product category is the Blue Sounds node at $549, mm. right? So you've got Wi Fi streaming, Ethernet streaming. You can connect it to a DAC over Toslink and Coax. There's no USB, although I believe USB is planned with a future firmware upgrade with a node. But it does Spotify Connect, Tidal Connect, AirPlay 2, Rune, and then it has its own sort of 
Blue OS, and I'll call it a, loosely a UPnP app because you can do UPnP with it. Hmm. No, actually, it's not UPnP, though, is it? It's Samba. It's not UPnP. I always make this mistake. <laughs> anyway, it's, it's another app, and that app integrates a whole bunch of other streaming services like Amazon Music, Kobo's, I think it even does Neil Young's streaming service. So there's a, it's, it, well, the reason I'm mentioning hmm. the, the Node is because it pretty much does everything for everybody, right? Yes. And the reason I say it is kind of like the baseline is because this is where a lot of people start. But what I'm going to suggest moving forwards is that there are more affordable products that do some, but not all of what the node can do. And each of them have their own sort of pros and cons in, in that respect. So, hmm. for example, this is a product I've been using myself in my own house for the last, what, two or three years. It's called the Xiaomi Mi Box S. It's 49 euros. It's a little sort of square plastic box. So there's probably a singular board inside. Um, but it has Toslink out. It has USB out. Now, purists will poo-poo this because it's not bit perfect in that because it runs Android OS, it resamples all audio coming out of the – I've got to get this the right way around. I think out of Toslink, it's 48 kilohertz. And I think out of USB, it's 96 I made a video about it. The, the truth is in that video. I can't remember off the top of my head hmm. which of the two it does. But anyway, but you still get a digital signal. The, digital, you know, the sound quality of that digital signal will be largely determined by the downstream DAC, not hmm. by the resampling or upsampling that goes on inside the Xiaomi streamer, right? I think, you know, when we talked last time about the skinny end of the wedge, and I think BitPerfect is right at that skinny end of the wedge but the the reason i use this or the how i use this xiaomi mi box s i mainly use it with my projector did you know that in germany it's called a beamer that's what that's what germans call a projector they call it a beamer uh that's what we call a bmw so <laughs> right yes so in germany a bmw is called a bmw because w is pronounced v like a v ah. anyway so the xiaomi mi box s it does chromecast so I can do SoundCloud to it sometimes. I can do Rune to it if I want to. This is outside of the, the sort of the video stuff. But if we do bring the TV or the Beamer back into the picture mm. and we have the Xiaomi Mi Box S connected to the TV, then we can do Tidal. There's an app for Tidal. So you just have a remote control. You can click around the app. There's an app for Plex and there's an app for Spotify Connect. So mm -hmm. for 50 <clears throat> bucks, it's pretty comprehensive. There's no AirPlay. There's no native rune. There's no Tidal Connect. But I, I just don't see how anybody can complain about this thing for 50 bucks, 50 euros. Yeah. Well, what I'm thinking, so, yeah, we have a smart TV mm -hmm. in the house. So I just go, um, you know, I've got Tidal loaded on it. I go Toslink out from, from the TV into my DAC. Right. So <clears throat> this yeah. is the big thing, right? This is something that we, we haven't spoken about before, and I think a lot of people do this, is that they'll use the streaming, or sorry, the digital audio output of their TV and connect to their DAC and then use whatever's on their TV or whatever's running on the streamer connected to the TV over HDMI to generate the stream, right? So mm -hmm. they might use the Spotify app on an Android TV, the Tidal app, or if mm -hmm. they've got an Apple TV unit, they can then do Apple Music and Spotify and Tidal, and they can do AirPlay. So Toslink out 
of a TV, I think it must be a popular, popular option out there, I would think. Mm -hmm. It has to be, right? Yeah, well, <laughs> it's funny. I mean, I, it's, it's one of those things I, I, haven't, I haven't really asked a lot of people about and I've, I've not researched. Mm. But the few people I know friends who are not um, audiophiles, but nonetheless have gone for outboard sound instead of using the TV speakers, are going uh, mainly Toslink out. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, so, I mean, if there's, you know, the other option is this HDMI. Yeah, there's HDMI eARC, which basically yeah. means you can use your TV remote to change the volume on your deck, right? Because it, it's, it's a two-way. Two yeah. 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 But, I mean, yeah, you can do that, but not many decks or, well, they're, they're, they're becoming increasingly common. They but are. But your yeah. average deck doesn't have HDMI eARC on it. I think it will be a standard thing in the future, as you alluded to earlier. But it's not super common right now. Right. So, but back to, I guess, to touch on this um notion of sound quality mm. um, you know yes you can certainly make an argument against toslink right which i'm not going to do <clears throat> but for our purposes mm. um in in our home it's perfectly fine it it does the trick it meets our needs <laughs> well i think anybody poo-pooing the use of toslink in the context of a xiaomi mi box s or any other sort of $100-ish streamer mm. is really missing the point, and their comment is way off the mark because, yeah, you could poo-poo it, but it doesn't really matter to that particular kind of setup. Or rather, it's, it's a little bit irrelevant. It's, it, it's, it's nitpicky is what it is. And, and it, I don't yeah. think you need to nitpick somebody who's just sort of getting into this and maybe is using their TV as a first step. Or somebody who's been into it for many decades and still is okay with, you know, yeah, music. fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I'm but, just, I actually, I did, sorry, I did just peek at the blue sound node page and they do have HDMI eARC as well. They do. Yes. Yeah. yeah so, so anyway, anyway, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, that, so for our purpose, that's the point I wanted to make. So for our purposes and for how we use audio in the house, um, mm you know there are any number of considerations box count cable count mm -hmm. clutter blah 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 it's it solves it's it's the best solution it so. is the most it's the i guess it it is quite an an elegant solution given the hardware in play i mean why wouldn't you use the toslink output on your tv yeah. i mean I know, again, another nitpicky comment, it's not going to be a bit perfect if it's an Android TV. I think generally <laughs> mo most of those Toslink outputs are locked at 48 kilohertz. Hmm. But whether you can hear that, I don't know. I, because there's no uh, way around it. So you, how can you possibly know? Right. And, also, right. and it's a big who cares again. Because, I, you know, we're, because the ultimate um, decision maker are the people who are using these things and listening mm -hmm. to them. And what I'm saying is, yeah, this works for us, which means it sounds perfectly fine. Right. And that's the right. end of the conversation. You can go on and on about all kinds of things, but I'm going to sit here and go, eh, okay, but it doesn't matter to me because I'm enjoying it and it works. <laughs> you see, no? 
But see, hmm. I get a steady stream of emails about the Apple TV, the unit, the streamer, right? I okay. think it's called the Apple TV 4K now, and I think it's about 200 bucks. It's quite expensive for that particular type of product. Now, people with slightly longer memories will, will recall that the, the generation of Apple TV, maybe two generations ago, had a Toslink out, and then Apple ditched it. So now I get emails asking, like, how do I get hmm. the digital audio stream out of my Apple TV? So the answer is there's two ways. You can connect the app, Apple TV puck to your TV with HDMI and then come out of the TV using Toslink, hmm. right? right. But if you don't have a TV, how do you do it? Well, you have to get something called an HDMI splitter. Now, these are about 25 bucks on Amazon. Hmm. So what they do is have an HDMI input, and then on the output, they'll have Toslink or coax or both. Hmm. So that's one way of getting audio out of an Apple TV and then obviously direct into a DAX, Toslink, or Coex input, right? And then you can't, but the thing, the thing is about that though, there's a problem, isn't there? Because <laughs> if you connect your Apple TV direct to an HDMI splitter, how do you see the interface? Because it's no longer connected to a TV. So how do you navigate anything? You can't. Yeah. So can, you yeah. have to go really with the Apple TV through the TV itself through your you know main hmm. or your or your beamer your projector so but there are like things like um the google chromecast not the google chromecast audio the, the video google hmm. chromecast hmm. if you just want to use that as a chromecast audio streaming device you can and you can use the hdmi splitter to generate your co your coax or toslink signal it gets really convoluted, though, doesn't it? I mean, <laughs> why would you do that when you can just use your TV or your, or your projector? Yes. So mm. this is why many people do it, because they've got a streaming box that they like, and many people love the Apple TV. Mm. Some people love the Google Chromecast. And now mm. that the Google Chromecast audio is long gone, maybe that's you know the, the next best thing is to get the Chromecast HDMI into your back of your TV and then come out of your TV using Toslink. That's probably the best way to do it. Mm. But anyway, I just I th I'm glad we've touched on this because I think this is a one of the sort of unspoken things that goes on in the audio world that maybe some people don't declare too openly because maybe they feel a little bit ashamed because they don't think that their setup is audiophile enough for the hounds that stalk the forums yeah. and, and Reddit and things like that because they probably think they're going to get laughed out of town or laughed off the page, right. which is a shame. It's a real shame. It, it is, yeah. So I, I want to present another network streamer now which sells for 100 bucks or 100 euros. And it only came to my attention in January. It's called the WIM Mini. WIM is spelt W-I-I-M. And mini, obviously mini. Now, I know, or I found out about this because a couple of readers emailed me about it saying, hey, John, you should check this out. Did a bit of Googling. Hardly anybody had written about it, but Hans Beekhuizen had done a video <laughs> two months prior about it, but he didn't really talk too much about sound or things like that. But I thought, okay, I'm going to buy one of these. I want to check it out. But before buying it, I wrote a, a new story about it because it seemed relatively new. And then it seems that, and I'm not trying to toot my own horn here, but I'm just observing what followed. I wrote my new story, and then three or four other people also wrote new stories or made YouTube videos about it. Mm. So I guess it was nice. It's nice to be kind of the springboard for that kind of thing. And I would have made a video at the time 
but it was just before we were due to come here to Portugal. So I couldn't really do it. So I bought one and I, I wrote a written review about it, which I, and I think it's great, but it's just recently this week received or is receiving another over the air update, which addresses a couple of issues that I kind of grumbled about in my original coverage, mm. namely that the app itself, it's called Wim Home. It's a UPnP app. It integrates Tidal and Cobas. That app wasn't gapless at the time, and it now is. Huh? The other issue was that Toslink wasn't bit perfect. You see, I got a bit ideal, idealistic, whingy about it. <laughs> but Toslink wasn't bit perfect. I believe it is now. But here's the other wrinkle, and I only found out about this this afternoon because somebody emailed me grumbling about it, and I'll see if I can find the email, actually, because he did say, maybe I'll read it out. I never read out an email on a podcast before, but maybe I will this time. He said, your article titled The Wim Mini is now bit perfect and fully gapless, which it is, needs a further update. When using Amazon or Cobas, the Spidif Toslink output is limited to 44.1 kilohertz. That means it won't play anything above CD mm. quality. Mm. This is not stated anywhere that I could find. This was confirmed by a question that I asked and was answered by the vendor. Fair enough. Okay, so if you're a Kobos or an Amazon user, you're only going to get CD quality out of the Win Mini. For me, I, I just couldn't care less. You know, I, I don't <laughs> care. I think as long as it does CD quality, I am more than happy, and especially for the money, you know, because it's 100 euros. But here's the thing, you know, it does Spotify Connect. It does AirPlay too, but the real reason this is the where I'm trying to get to with this. The real mm. reason that I went wow when I first saw it was that it also does Tidal Connect, mm -hmm. and it doesn't do MQA Masters though. So if you punch in an MQA Masters file, it will just serve you the CD quality equivalent. Again, mm -hmm. I don't care, right? Because I'm getting. As close as possible, I'm going to word, word it carefully here before I get a bunch of emails about this, and the people who would email, email me about me know exactly what I'm talking about, <laughs> as close as possible to CD quality as we can get with Tidal. So basically, it's a CD quality type streamer that mm -hmm. is now fully gapless because we know that Tidal Connect is already gapless. So is Spotify Connect. The Win Mini home app is now gapless for Cobas and Tidal as long as you're okay with CD quality. I just think it's a it's a complete win, apart from the fact it doesn't have an Ethernet socket. It only does Wi-Fi. Ah, but, okay. You know, okay. it's still <laughs> for a hundred bucks. Yeah. I think it's fantastic. I think it's fantastic, you know? Yeah. It's a it's a good replacement for the Google Chromecast audio, which wasn't gapless. And this thing is. Mm. And that thing didn't do Spotify Connect or Tidal Connect or AirPlay 2 or have its own app. So, yeah, I just think the Win Mini is a one to kind of look at if you're on a real budget and you don't want to go the Toslink TV out method of getting a stream into your DAC because that's what we're talking about here, getting a stream into your DAC, right? Yeah, yeah. So, all right, next thing. I'm a big fan of the Raspberry Pi. I've been writing about Raspberry Pi streamers for the last four years. I believe you've dabbled as well, haven't you, Michael? You made me, yeah. Yeah, you, you're, you're now pie curious. Get it? <laughs> oh, oh um, man. The puns I can spin from a Raspberry Pi headline. <laughs> they know no bounds. <laughs> but yes, I own one and I am a proud user. Right. 
Yeah. So, oh, okay, I'll, I'll address one question that I get asked a lot is like, can we do HDMI audio out of the Pi? Because otherwise you have to use USB. And USB is the only option unless you use a hat, which mm. is a board that attaches to the top, and then that hat might give you coax or Toslink or both. But I, I don't want to talk about hats too much today because it gets a bit techy and nerdy. But people ask, like, can I do HDMI? The answer is, I think, no. And I, I think mm. it's very much dependent upon the operating system that you're using on your Pi. So if you're ah, using okay. Ropi, the HDMI is a flat no. But yeah. the, I wouldn't use HDMI because it, it's very jittery. I know mm. this might not be a topic for a $99 streamer because once you've built a Pi, put it in a case out of the power supply, it's about $99, $99. $99. But I don't think that going the HDMI out route is a good one because there's no, I think there's no clock information sent with audio. And I think the receiver has to generate that clock itself. And if you Google it, and I have, if you Google, Google HDMI jitter, you'll get a whole bunch of videos and articles about why HDMI audio is not the best way to send digital audio into a DAC from a theoretical point of view. It may right. sound actually fine, or it might not work at all. I've never done it. I haven't either. And I, I do have to wonder out loud how many devices out there offer HDMI, but not USB. Right. Yeah. And the, the USB argument against the Raspberry Pi 3 was, well, was it strong? Sometimes you get dropouts, right? Now, very often that was because the USB data bus inside the Pi 3 was shared with the Ethernet data bus. If you've got a lot of traffic, maybe the USB audio would not be prioritized and you would get glitched playback. Right, but that problem is solved with the, with the Pi 4. Right, because now they're on separate data buses. So the mm. Pi 4, but again, you might get a Pi 3 and have no issue from its USB, none whatsoever. I guess mm. you have to try it for yourself. But in January, I spent a good couple of weeks experimenting with the Pi again, but this time adding the official 7-inch Raspberry Pi mm. touchscreen <clears throat> because I thought, well, I want to build a touchscreen player. So I've got something that I can see from the listening position so I can see the cover art and the artist's name and the track and all that. But if I'm nearby... I can touch it. I mean, we've talked about the touchscreen <laughs> issue before, right? I mean, yeah. Whenever am I? When am I nearby my touchscreen? Not very often. Just really not there so so much. But I just thought I'd try it because mm -hmm. the the touchscreen is a hundred bucks. So mm. basically, the Pi bolts onto the back of the touchscreen, which has its own control board. So basically, it's a two board stack effectively on the back of a touchscreen. Mm. But you have okay. to use the official seven inch. Raspberry Pi touchscreen. There's a whole bunch of other touchscreens out there on Amazon, but they aren't supported by the software that I'm about to talk about. So I made two different touchscreen Pies, one with Ropi. Now, the thing I like about Ropi is it was originally designed to be just a Rune endpoint. Mm -hmm. So you write the operating system to the microSD card, insert it into the Pi, boot it up. And Ropi has the drivers for the seven inch touchscreen built in. So it'll automatically detect it and configure it. And it'll give you a now playing screen for Rune, but for Rune only. So if you happen to upgrade to Ropi or Rupi XL, so the, the expanded edition, which includes Spotify Connect, and I think AirPlay as well, hmm. you still get 
the now playing screen for Rune, but you don't get one for Spotify or for AirPlay. So if you punch in a Spotify stream, the Rune screen just stays there on whatever the last thing was you played whilst the, the Spotify music plays you know, out of the pie into the deck. So, yeah, I built that. <laughs> yeah, I've not done that. I've not added a screen, but in my use scenario it, it doesn't really make sense because it's too far away I wouldn't be able to see it right i mean i did it just because i could and mm. because we'd had that conversation about touch screens on yeah. the hi-fi rose right i thought yes. okay i need to i need to experience this for myself so i built this thing mm. i didn't use the touch screen hardly ever but what i really liked about the ropey os is that when nothing was playing it would click over to a clock screensaver so i basically have a 200 dollar touchscreen okay. clock in my hi-fi rack now <laughs> right 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 <laughs> but here's an interesting thing about that screen the the official raspberry pi touchscreen is that the viewing angle on it is pretty narrow so oh. you have to get it at the right height so when you, and the right angle because the case that you wrap it all in and you can get different cases for these things that determines how how much the screen leans backwards which mm. therefore de determines the viewing angle and determines oh. how low you need to place it. Because I tried two different cases and mm. one canted it backwards a little bit too much, which meant I had to put the whole thing on the bottom shelf of my hi-fi rack. Mm. So I went back to the original case that I had, which mean, meant I could put it up higher, but that original case had a closed back. So I couldn't factor in any hats if I wanted to. So I was basically locked into USB. Not that I mind being locked into USB, but I mm. wanted to show the articles are on my website. I wanted to show people different ways of implementing the screen and then, you know, when hats can work and when they can't. And then if you do have a hat, what kind of stand you need. And if you have that stand, where that stand, de you know, determines or how that stand determines the placement of the whole thing. Mm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, it was just, it was interesting. I'm, I'm going to keep it. I'm going to keep the ropey installation because the other one that I did, Hmm. Uh, was Volumio. So Volumio right. is great because it also auto-detects the screen. You have to install some drivers upon first boot up using their web interface or the app. Hmm. But once you've done that, it finds the screen, and then you have to go into the settings and just flip it around because for some reason hmm. both the cases that I had insisted that the screen was mounted what seems to be upside down. But it's a, it's a, it's a minor problem to solve. Hmm. But the good thing about Volumio is it gives you Spotify Connect, Tidal Connect, AirPlay 2. It gives you Rune Bridge, which is as close as you can get to Rune Ready, I think. And it gives you a UPnP app, which integrates Tidal and Kobos, albeit for a fee for their subscription service. Hmm. So the, why I'm mentioning all of this is because hmm. that gets you very, very close to the functionality of the blue sound node, hmm. right? And hmm. if you if you put a hat on your pie, you can get coax and Toslink out. You know, I know it sounds silly, doesn't it? Put a hat on it, <laughs> put a trilby on it. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you, see, I mean, just see what I mean. I mean, I'm not going to talk about sound quality here. I don't, I don't want to factor that in because I think if, even if there are differences, they're going to be tiny. And for some people, they'll matter. For people like me, they matter. But for other people, they won't matter. Mm -hmm. And I think the more I do this, the more the functionality of these streamers is more important to me 
than how they sound at this level, right? In the sure entry hundred dollar, yeah, and under ballpark, right? So I guess if I was, I guess if I was just a Tidal and Spotify user, I'd probably go the Win Mini, but because I want to do Rune, I go the Raspberry Pi and use USB or add a hat and you know go out Toslink from there. <laughs> I think the Raspberry Pi is more flexible. But with that flexibility comes a little bit more fiddliness. You know, you have to mess around with micro SD cards, operating systems. It's not plug and play. Right, right, right. Yeah. Right. I have to say I've turned the corner on the on the Raspberry Pi. Yeah. And when I first got it, I was probably in too much of a hurry. <laughs> Honestly. Right. You know, doing 18 other things and taking it um not not really giving it its due. Mm. Um, but now it's been, I don't know how many, it's been quite a while that I've had it and I've been using it in different, um, scenarios in, in part to, uh, work with DDCs and external clocks. Mm. Um, and I've come to really like it quite a bit. I, I mean, for the money, it's just a wonderful thing. It really. is. I mean, you just plug it in and off you go. Like, yeah, I'm this, to get it. Mm. Yeah, sorry, go on, go on. I'm sorry, yeah, the, all the, you know, the setup thing, if you talk about it, it can sound complicated. If you do it, it's not. If you just right. follow the directions, it doesn't take any time to speak of in terms of the setup. I'll, that's mm. where I'll leave it. it. It's not a problem. It's not difficult. Once it's done, it's done, and then you're just off to the races. So, yeah, I mean, I've really come to... Uh, to, I'm I'm really glad that I have one, and it's come in handy in a number mm -hmm. of use cases. And I use it as a rune endpoint. I mean, solely. Mm. But whatever. That's 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 that. But yeah, I mean, all things considered, price. It's it's great to have. I will share that I received an email fairly recently um, from someone mm -hmm. in the industry uh, okay. who suggested. I should not be using a Raspberry Pi in my reviews because Why? it's a compromised source, let's just say. And I would like to prefer to just leave it there, you know. Okay. Uh, you know, the, uh, as opposed to something like a, a purpose-built music server from any number of companies. I guess I can sort of see where they're coming from, but again, in the context of an entry-level system, no, not at all. No, yeah, it, and it, also it works, it, right? And uh, and part of my um, thought process for using the Pi in not an entry-level system was mm. because things like DD. And I, I know I'm, I don't want to get into the weeds, but I just from a bird's eye view, mm. Things like digital to digital converters and external clocks are meant to clean up the signal they're receiving. So, what better way to test the veracity of such device than to feed mm. in a noisy signal? <laughs> so, anyway, right. yeah. So, and you know, but it's just it's it's fun. But in any event, I'm a I'm a fan. It's a mm. wonderful solution, and yeah, mine. Uh, all in because I bought it, you know, a cheap case. It wasn't even, it was like $80 or something all in right, power right. supply. And so, yeah. So what I did to clean up my USB output, if you like, so mm. rather than add a hat to the top, because I couldn't, 
because I went back to the closed back case, right? Mm. So I couldn't put a hat there. So what I did, I went USB out of the Pi into a topping D10S, which we've spoken about before because it can, it's, only, it's, it's a DAC, oh, yeah. Yeah. but it also works as a USB spit-off converter. Yeah. So into the topping, and then I think I went toslink out of the topping into my DAC. Mm-hmm. So is that, a, is that a compromised source? I guess in the context of an Uber high-end hi-fi system, yeah, maybe. But again, we're talking about, it's, it, I put that next to the bit perfectness or high-res audio. It's at the very thin end of the wedge, mm. you know, of, of what can, of the things that can impact sound quality. Yeah. I mean, yes, yes, they will make a difference in a more revealing system, but they're not night and day blows it out of the water kind of differences. Not at all. They're small mm. differences. And yes, they are appreciable to certain people. But I guess I, I, I feel a little bit irritated by the guy that emailed you saying the Pi is a compromised source because he's trying to effectively impose his almost will upon yours. I mean, you've, you've decided it, it's not for that particular context. Mm. Or if you're already aware of its compromises, you've decided that those compromises, as you did, don't matter because you're using a DDC. Mm. So, you know, like people choose things for their own reasons. And I just... Again, like it's it's just a generalization. It's a compromised source. Right, well, that's well, a wonderful thing to go splashing over Facebook groups, right? In, in, in search well, of your latest ego boner. But it's just, uh, it's just well, irritating. It's, yeah, I think in part it's it's um, sometimes I think these reactions are because people are thinking about their own particular use case scenario. Right, and then but they don't think about you. They lack empathy. Mm. They don't think, oh, hang on a minute. Does my individual use case scenario mesh with Michael Lavonia's individual use case scenario? Or maybe I should leave this alone because the two don't align. You know, it's just I wish people would yeah, think about I mean, other people <laughs> before they kind of make these comments. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I mean, it, certainly it didn't bother me. And I knew exactly what he was saying. You know, I, I know just, what he's saying. Yeah, for sure. But it's just in the context of this, like, mm. no. <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah. And that's a story. That's a conversation for another day. Well, it is. And I guess if it was, you know, let's say it's a, a very high-end Munich audio exhibit. And let's say, I don't know, let, let's say it's Wilson speakers and, mm. I don't know, Dan D'Agostino amplifier and then a Mola Mola DAC and then there's a... a pie going into the mola mola mm. and somebody says well that's a compromised source and well okay yeah maybe that's that's a valid thing to say in the context of that system but right yeah and but right. if they were using a ddc yeah maybe not maybe not i think that's i don't know but if it sounds good to you then it doesn't really matter does it i mean it just has to sound good to you right and yeah and this was and of course this was for a review uh, and for a review right. of these external devices that sit mm-hmm. in between the Pi and the DAC. So, you know, they were, it, it was very intentional. <laughs> That's all. Right. Because you're testing yeah. how much, it, what, what it can do to the worst possible thing that you can feed into it. I get it. I get it. Yeah. 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 But basically, I'm a big fan of the Pi. And I think for entry yep. level systems, if you're, you know, if you've got 500 bucks to spend mm. and you don't know how to allocate that, buy a Pi and put the rest into a DAC. Yeah. Right, absolutely. Yeah, you know, I did. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll say that I am a, a fan of the approach when it comes to just the digital side of a hi-fi. 
that mm-hmm. you should put the lion's share of the budget into the deck. Right. Yeah, I think so. I think so as well. Mm. I, I guess uh, well, let's bring it back to where we started. Mm. If you don't fancy all this kind of operating system, micro SD cards, mm. putting it together, then you might go the Win Mini. If that doesn't do enough of the, the streaming functionality you want or you want Ethernet, then you go the Blue Sound Node. But the Blue Sound Node covers everything and it is plug and play and you don't really have to think too much about it. I mean, the onboarding is just amazing now. It's super intelligent. It's just, yeah. my, my dad could set up a Blue Sound Node, but he wouldn't be able to do a Pi. Yeah, no, I think the Node is a brilliant product and I really even like the Blue OS app. It's a very satisfying product, that's what I'll say. I mean, I still have mine. It's not the most recent in, you know, version, mm. um, but I've owned one for a year, for many years. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's a very friendly product. I mean, in, in this context, it seems like, oh, $500, but, you know, you're, you, you're, you're getting a lot of, of technology that, that these other um, solutions don't even touch on. So, Well, I mean, for example, two-way Bluetooth. You can Bluetooth into the node, you can Bluetooth out of the node yeah. as well. Yeah. So that's, I think that's also great. But yeah, there's a, there's a lot going, there's a subwoofer output as well if you want to use it as a mm-hmm. pre- there's a touch panel on the top. So there's a lot of other niceties you don't get with these more affordable solutions. But I guess today I just wanted to kind of run through some of those more affordable solutions and talk about the possibilities that they offer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's you're right, right. I also will say I like the node as a thing, as an mm. object. Like yes, you, it, it, the design is nice, right? It is, yeah, it is. Um, Michael, we, we're getting close to uh, our usual, well, attempt at trying to hit 90 minutes Oh, so maybe we should move towards wrapping this up and talk about, will you give us a recommended album and I'll give everybody a recommended album. All right. <laughs> Hold on, I have to reset my brain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the album I wanted to talk about today is called Lonely Guest. That is both the artist's name and album name. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Tricky who is the uh, person behind Lonely Guest, um, was very adamant about saying this is not a tricky album. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and right. this relates to something we were talking about earlier. I think yeah, yeah. You know, his name was slapped everywhere as a, you know, on any, if he walked by an album, they would put his name on it Yes, in the past because he was just so hot, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, Lonely Guest really is, it's tricky with guest artists, different guest artists on every track. Mm. And some of those artists inc- are uh, Lee Scratch Perry, huh. um, who just had passed fairly recently within the last few months. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he is just some, he's a favorite uh, musician, musician, uh, producer, influencer mm-hmm. of mine. I was actually very sad to to learn that he had passed away. He was such mm. a strong force uh, and just such a unique and wonderful character. And who right. I would recommend Super Ape, Lee Scratch Perry and the Upsetters album, Super Ape is uh-huh. an all-time super classic. Huh. Um, but going from that, so you've got Lee Scratch Perry, also, Joe Talbot, who's the frontman for Idols, the band Idols. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then other people for me were less known. Paul Smith from Maximo Park. 
Rihanna uh-huh. Barbera, and then um, Marta, who is a, of is a vocalist that um, Tricky really kind of discovered while he was on tour. Mm. But so from track to track, you do get this nice, you know. I mean, imagine going from Lee Scratch Perry to Idols, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Track to track. So the guest um, artist influence is strong, yet it's tricky. So, you know, he's he really is such a strong voice. Um, so it's a wonderful blend of music. Um, it's not, you know, it's it's it can't be stamped with any particular genre. Although, again, if you know Tricky's music, it certainly has his fingerprint. But, you know, mm. the Idols track is very different from the Lee Perry track. And, and uh, I just find it just such a... a great listen all the way through and it's also a beautiful lp i mean a beautifully Mm -hmm. done lp right the packaging is nice the inner sleeve has a um a a photograph tipped in to the sleeve so you could pull it out if you want yeah and it's the heads of all the people on the album headshots so anyway it's like the entire package is just wonderful and i think it's a for me, it's like a beautiful slow vibe of a record, really. Right. Yeah. And, well, and, actually, mm, sorry, go on. Sorry. You know, and the sound, and that's th- something about Tricky. In my experience, I don't claim to be a, any kind of deep dive on Tricky, but there are a few highlights. His debut album, I thought, was just brilliant. It's just lovely. I, I could listen to that every day. Um, his sound, his his the sound is. Uh, I don't want to say like sound quality is a 10. That kind of thing mm. makes me want to change my underwear or something, but um, <laughs> it just twists me up. Right. But anyway, it's, it's, a, it's a very interesting record on many levels. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, I think Tricky's the debut Max Quay is mm. possibly one of my favorite albums, the nineties. It sounds like nothing else. Yeah. And it sounds it doesn't even sound like Massive Attack from the, the band from mm-hmm. which he came. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 like its own little world, isn't it? I mean, that's yeah. the great thing about the yeah, you know, some of our favorite albums. They create their own little microcosmos. You know, when you put the headphones on, you sit between the speakers, you're just enveloped in that world for an hour. And it does I mean, I just get goosebumps thinking about that record. Yeah. And it isn't the kind of music that I'm normally into. I don't know why. I I just that album just knocked me sideways oh. when it came out and still does. Uh, which led me onto this mm. other choice of an album that I'm going to suggest today. Now I would be a liar if I was trying to tell people that I had no idea Michael was going to suggest a tricky album today because I did. <laughs> and that's why I'm choosing this one as my recommended album of this episode. It's called product of the environment. Now it has no real artist as such on the sleeve, but as you mentioned before, Michael, you know, when Tricky's involved, they slap Tricky all over it. And when this album came out in 99, you know, people were falling over themselves to tell you this was executively produced by Tricky. Now, what executively produced means, I think, is just he came up with the concept and mm. maybe put the money in to make it happen because most of the music itself is done by a chap called Gareth. It's either Bowen or Bowden. It's spelled both ways on Discogs. I believe huh. this this guy was or is Tricky's keyboard player, I think. So he, in every track, he lays down a bed of music, and it's basically mm. beats and keyboards and percussion and things like that. But the vocal turns are taken by 
East End gangsters or London gangsters from the 60s and 70s, right? It's interview mm. clips that have been chopped up to match the music. And it sounds comical, doesn't it? It sounds uh, it just... Yeah. Oh, I love the idea, actually, but yeah. But it is absolutely astonishing. Mm. It really is. It's just a fascinating listen. And the, the music kind of just you know, moves things along, so it's not just a dry voice talking to you. Um, but the, yeah, it's just it's 11 tracks, so 11 underworld members you know but old mm. school so they all talk like deep gravelly voices <laughs> and talk about shooters and nitro and yeah do, doing him over and we've done that bank and all that kind of stuff you know so it's but it I, I'm, I'm trying not to make a comedy moment of it but it's mm. wonderful i don't think it ever came out on vinyl it's only on cd it's pretty easy to get on discogs i'm looking at it right now 30 for sale one one euro 51 so mm. you're not gonna have a hard time finding the cd where you will have a hard time, I think, is on streaming services because I don't think it's there. I could be wrong. I did look. I I yeah. did a quick look. I didn't find it. Right. Um, okay. I did. Uh, my CD is in the mail. So. Right. But it, yeah. it's it's like again, it's like no other album you've ever heard. It's it's yeah completely unique, and I think more people need to hear this. I I couldn't even tell you how good it sounds because I haven't played it for a while. But uh, like when I play it. The last thing I'm thinking about really is how good this record sounds. Unless it sounds amazing and I probably would go, oh, this sounds really good. But if it doesn't sound great, I'm not going to care one jot. I'm not going to care. Because I just enjoy the music, right? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, excuse, excuse that kind of weird pun thing. I don't know. When you, whenever I say enjoy the music, I, I cringe a little bit inside. <laughs> um, because it's just such an odd thing to say to hi-fi people. <laughs> Well, it is because it's not just about the music and it's not just about the hi-fi. It's a combination of the two, right? Uh -huh. To say you enjoy the music is to, is to be dis a little bit disingenuous and it's to suggest that the hi-fi doesn't come into it or the hi-fi is not a factor. Of course it is. It's the gear, right? And it's the sound and it's the music. It's the whole package. I, I don't know. When I was driving out of the, uh, the Porsche dealer the other day with my new Carrera, the guy said, enjoy the ride. <laughs> or enjoy the road. <laughs> you know, we have to wrap up, but I want to, I want to share one last thought that I had today because it's, I know you and I have spoken about this often in that when I, I just can't get my head around the idea that being into audio is a hobby because it's so deeply intertwined ah. with, with music, right? I just, ah. the word hobby just, it's just a bum note every time I read it. I go, no, this is, this is more than a hobby. And I was trying to think of a good analogy. You know, I, I landed on this in, in, saying that, in saying that, you know, hi-fi is a hobby is like me saying that trousers are a hobby. <laughs> right? It's just, no, I have to wear trousers. Like, it's, it's non-negotiable or shorts, you know, like in, on a hot day. But, you know, it's, it's just an essential part of life that I don't even think about mm. being mm. an optional extra. It's, it's there. It is. It always was. I don't think of it as like a game of tennis or a walk around the city or, or a vacation to Lisbon or whatever, not a vacation. Um, but you know, it's mm. just, I don't so what think would about you call it then if it's not a hobby, a compulsion, uh, uh, I don't know, but uh, it's just, yeah, it's just, I've, I've certainly referred to it as the hi-fi hobby. I have. Well, I don't know. I see it referred to a lot in that way. And I'm mm. not picking on people that choose that word. I'm just talking about it from my perspective. It's just more than a hobby. It's more than that. It's just, yeah, I don't know. 
It's it's trousers. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, pants. If you're in the USA, pants. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. I think, um, Michael. I'm really sorry that I, I did talk a lot in this episode, and I didn't really let you get a word in edgeways. And <laughs> I promise I'll make it up to you next time. And you can you can run the whole thing, and I'll just oh, there you go. I'll just sit there and hum along, right? <laughs> but I'm really I'm sorry. sorry. I just I've already started to mumble under my breath about you, <laughs> and I'll continue <laughs> to do that after we hang up. But it'll be out loud, so it's not a problem. Right. Okay. <laughs> well, anyway. Thank you for mumbling along <laughs> to, the, to the tune that I was playing today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. You have been listening to me, John Darko, and Twittering Machines is Michael Lavonia. This episode was produced by Nick McCorriston, and music came from Ben Pitt.